So I have to confess, one, I have entirely too many windows open on my computer at the moment. Let me uh, make some of these smaller. Um, so I have a confession to make, which is that in my adult life, I have on occasion been known to write poetry. Now, I'm not going to make you suffer through some of that poetry, but I bring that up because one of the poems that I wrote in my adult life was inspired by the alleged last words of Oscar Wilde, which go something like this, which is, um, so Oscar apparently somewhere near his deathbed said something to the effect of, my wallpaper and I are in a duel to the death and one of us has got to go. I came upon this quote, I'm not sure why, it may have just been I was in one of those moods where I was kind of Googling to the ends of the internet looking for things. But this quote sort of led me to go back and consider the story of Lazarus that we get in today's gospel reading. It also made me think about that there are several other folks sort of sprinkled throughout scripture that are miraculously brought back to life, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so reflecting on, on Oscar Wilde's kind of final quote and thinking about Lazarus, I, like other much more skilled writers, um, was intrigued to imagine what life was like for Lazarus on like the day after he was raised from the dead, and then the day after that, and so on. I guess my mind went there because this gospel reading that we have today is one of my favorites. I was um, sort of excited that the rota of preaching that Thomas and I worked out when we moved to Zoom church fell on me having the reading from Lazarus. And I think it's one of my favorites because no matter how many times I revisit it when it comes into the lectionary, I hear something different which, you know, makes sense given the length of the reading that we are given for the day and how many scenes that there are in it. Um, this is um, a, a story packed with information. We get the, the first scene where Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is ill, but then he says, we're not going there right now. And then we get the scene where Jesus tells his disciples what's going on, what he's going to do. They miss the point. He says, no, Lazarus really is dead. He's not just asleep, but we're going to go there because this is going to glorify God. And we get this acknowledgement that Jesus going so close to Jerusalem at this time is really dangerous for him. We get Thomas, the twin, who has this fleeting moment of thinking that he would actually go with Jesus to Jerusalem and die there with him sort of a, a foreshadowing of things that are not to come and that the disciples would not be with Jesus in his death. And then we get Jesus coming to town in Bethany where he first encounters Martha and we get her beautiful profession of faith in Jesus as the Messiah and in the belief of the resurrection. And Jesus makes this sort of curious statement that the that he's not just talking about when it comes to Lazarus, the resurrection and the last day, but he's talking about that he will bring Lazarus to life now. And not just that, but that the everlasting life that he promises is present here and now and not just some future event. 
And then Jesus encounters Mary in the community. And then finally, sort of the peak of all of the action, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. And many believe. So in years past, when I have been called upon to consider this story, I hear a story of profound faith and profession of that faith. I hear the story of the power of God's love and the power of life that would ultimately set off the plot to kill Jesus and the gospel of John. It is this moment that leads the, the leaders to begin to conspire against Jesus, not anything overturning tables in the temple. It's the raising of Lazarus that starts that into motion. It's certainly a story of miraculous restoration from death to life. And it's also, I've heard it as a story of liberation when Jesus raises Lazarus. Even though the miracle is complete, it's left to the community to unbind him and to let him go, to finish the work of God, to set him free. This week, in these strange and interesting times that we are in, when I return to this very familiar story, the part that catches my attention is the moment of when Jesus meets Mary. She stayed at home, right? Martha has to go back and tell her that Jesus has shown up. And so Mary goes out to Jesus, and the text tells us, that when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. These few sentences in this larger story struck me this week as being so filled with emotion, which is not something that I normally connect with the Gospel of John. John is about really long sentences that are hard to read in public worship and sort of these highly crafted theological statements. But in this moment that John records, we have such love and grief just laid out there for people to see and encounter. Mary, of course, echoes Martha's lament that if Jesus had just shown up when they sent for him, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. But we get this scene of vulnerability and grief of her kneeling at his feet and weeping. And the writer gives us this curious indication of Jesus's inner life saying that he's greatly disturbed and deeply moved and that he actually weeps. It's only after this vulnerable moment of emotion that Jesus then calls Lazarus out of the tomb. As you can imagine, this amazing scene has been the subject of several paintings. And since we're on Zoom church, I decided that I would finally be nerdy and subject y'all, rightfully so, to the screen share. So I'm gonna see if I can navigate this and show y'all the first painting, which of course now covered up where my sermon text is. So I gotta get that back, hold on. This is a painting by Rembrandt 
Um, and Rembrandt is, I think, popular with a lot of folks. He does um, pretty light, right? And Rembrandt painted this scene. And clearly, in this scene, Jesus is the main actor. He's sort of just off of center with his hand raised. And then we get Rembrandt's sort of signature pretty light falling just to, to the left of Jesus onto the face of what is likely Mary, who seems to be lunging into the grave where Lazarus is in sort of in that moment of, of coming back to life. While Jesus doesn't get like the best Rembrandt lighting, it's clear from the way that Rembrandt puts the painting together that Jesus is the main point, right? This is, this is the cause of all of the rest of the action that is going on in the painting. And we are supposed to see Jesus and connect Mary in her astonishment of Lazarus rising up and Lazarus rising to this action of Jesus in the center part of the painting. Now I covered up my sermon notes again. See, the risk of being nerdy. Um, I point to that one because I like Rembrandt and I've made people suffer through me talking about Rembrandt's uh, painting about the prodigal son. But I also do that because I'm going to transition to another painting. We'll do a screen share of that in a moment and perhaps not cover up my sermon notes. Um, because that Rembrandt painting, a print of that painting, an etching made its way to a, an insane asylum in France and into the hands of Vincent van Gogh. And Van Gogh um, was often inspired by other painters, and particularly in this period of time, sort of later on his in his life when he's confined, he is looking at the landscape around him, which of course, you know, we will ultimately, while he's confined in an asylum, get A Starry Night um, and that sort of series. But then he, his brother Theo is sharing art with him to sort of cheer him up. And he gets a group of prints of Van Gogh's and, and talks about in his letters how he's, he's going to, to use them to inspire paintings. And this is the only one that we, we know of that Van Gogh actually did make a painting from. And so he looks at Rembrandt's raising of Lazarus while he's in the asylum and works to develop a painting. We're gonna be Zoom nerdy again and probably also cover up my sermon notes, but we'll see. I just wanna show you this painting. So here we have Van Gogh's take on Rembrandt's Raising of Lazarus. And of course, you probably see immediately Van Gogh's sort of typical big thick brush strokes right this is during the period of time when he begins to depict light this way and these sort of radiating swirls you can see some of that around the sun and how that kind of fills out the painting and he's used rembrandt's um composition but he has really identified with Lazarus because if you can tell Lazarus beard and hair sort of has a, a tinge of red to it. He's made Lazarus a ginger rather like himself. 
Um, and he's used neighbors, people that he knew, um, to be the models for the, the face and the figures of the two women. Now, it's a much less crowded scene than what Rembrandt gives us. And we're just left with, with two women, Mary, most likely the woman in the green dress, coming towards the grave as Lazarus is rising up. But the, the most sort of obvious difference is that Van Gogh did not paint the, the, the physical representation of Jesus into the scene. There is no Christ, right? The, the main center mover and actor, it seems like, is Mary as she lunges towards the grave. In the original painting, um, where Lazarus was, was much cooler tones. You can see sort of what's left of that in the rock, in the rocks kind of along Lazarus. You can see some of the blues and purples. Unfortunately, the painting has deteriorated. And so we're left, we've lost some of the contrast that would have been there originally, right? With, with Lazarus and these cool dark purples and the sky and the women in these warmer tones of gold and yellow. Come and stop my screen share again. And of course, cover up the sermon notes. Bring those back down here. I think that there is a temptation with Van Gogh's work from when he is inside the asylum to look for sadness, right? They want to point to the artist that's gone mad, that's depressed, that will ultimately possibly commit suicide, um, depending on where you come down on how Van Gogh died. And commentators will point to Van Gogh's clear identification with Lazarus in the grave. But what they seem to forget is that Van Gogh, in the midst of his depression from the insane asylum, is identifying with a man that is in the very moment of coming back to life. That even in this scene where the grave takes up such a significant portion of the visual field, Van Gogh has filled the canvas with this, his palette of warm light. There is no Christ figure in the scene, but the sun is in the middle, similarly to where Christ was in Rembrandt's original work. And the light and the warm color that radiates and fills the rest of the canvas comes from that point of the sun. The original work has deteriorated, which I mentioned before. And so what we can see is that Van Gogh had painted light even in the dark places, and then come back and covered it up with these cooler tones of blues and purples to make it look dark. That even in the grave, Van Gogh saw light and just had to change it and cover it for the viewer to better see the difference between where Lazarus was coming from and where he was going. I would say to you, like a lot of Van Gogh's paintings from this period, that this painting is actually filled with a lot of hope and perhaps a bit of faith. Van Gogh started his young adulthood wanting to be a preacher, but discovered he was not very good at preaching. And so they went on to be a painter, though he died thinking he was not very good at being a painter, though after his death, he has become one of the most popular and studied painters of the period. Our reading from Romans, Paul tells us in no uncertain terms that the Spirit of God dwells in us, that the Spirit of, the God, of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. 
and that our reading in John shows us that this spirit of God that dwells in us is not some detached, unmoving thing. Instead, it is the spirit of a God who grieves and weeps and loves so deeply that that God was willing to go to the grave and bring life and not death. We are not yet to Easter, so this is not an Easter sermon. But I think that maybe like Van Gogh, we might be in a moment of this uncertainty where we might identify again with Lazarus in the grave, maybe right before the raising started happening, right? And we might be asking, what are we supposed to do? Life is uncertain at the moment. Life during and after COVID-19 seems like it's going to be very different than the life that we lived two weeks ago. And so what does it mean for us who believe? What does our faith mean in a time of pandemic, in a time of anxiety, in a time of grief? I think that it means that we are called to be a people of hope supported by the presence of a God that is not contained only in the incarnation, only in the church, or only in the sacraments, that we are called to be a people of hope that even as we face uncertain and challenging times, even as we may feel like the coldness of the grave is closing around us, we, like Vincent, can see that the world is actually covered in the light of Christ. We are called, perhaps at this moment, to be poets and artists and storytellers to where we can look at the world and not necessarily see it as it is, but as it could be. We are to, in a place of time and uncertainty, and it is to us to look again to our stories of faith and to tell them anew, to use new stories, new paints, new words, to point are those around us to the hope that is in our faith. Perhaps in this time, we're called to use our lives and our creativity to paint a canvas that is one of hope and belief in the everlasting life. Amen.